This is the Red Sign Podcast, a deep dive into legacy wealth building through real estate. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Red Sign Podcast. I'm Clay Winder, and today I have with me Cameron Wilson. Welcome, Cameron. Thanks for joining. Guys, we're going to jump back into uh, real estate as a commodity, as an asset, and as an investment. Uh, The last episodes have been awesome as we've discussed the real estate business of agency and brokerages, but now we're going to get back to the fundamentals of real estate investing as uh, as actual investors, not even necessarily as occupancy. So Cameron, uh, we're here to talk about uh, let's maybe just start back at the, the basic fundamentals of why investing in real estate. I mean, people know kind of the general things, but let's maybe dive a little deeper and just why should we buy rental properties instead of jumping on the Bitcoin bandwagon or getting our Amazon stock or our Tesla stock uh, or, uh, you know, investing in, in those type of things? Why real estate? Well, I, I think it's better than, than all of those uh, for a few reasons. The first thing is it's actually passive income. Every single month, you get a check from your property manager, from your renters, whatever that is, and you can go use that however you want. If you own the stock, you don't get that unless there's a dividend, but usually you have to have a ton of money to actually make any sort of dividend. The other thing with that is you don't need to have all of the money to buy the property. There's a bunch of ways to get into properties with low or no down payment type ideas. And then even if you do have some money, 20%, and that's just looking at just the income, not even to talk about all of the other great things, the appreciation, the tax benefits, uh, debt reduction, and all these things that we'll go into. Like It is just a, a better all-around investment. And it's pretty safe. You own an asset. You own a house. The market turns. You can go live in a house. Right. You have something that's that's worth money. Well, and you said something that always stands out to me that I like to remind people, and that is when you buy a rental property, the cash that you're putting into it is only a fraction of the overall value of the home. For example, you mentioned 20% down, 20% down on a $300,000 condo right now is 60 grand. So it's like, okay, great. I put up 60 grand, but you own a $300,000 condo. So we've leveraged with with really inexpensive money when interest rates are so low right now, uh, the entire asset, where if you put 60 grand into the stock market, you own 60 grand worth of stock. Yeah. And then if, I mean, if the market appreciates 10%, you own $300,000, all of a sudden you got 30 grand in appreciation. Same thing happens in the stock market, goes up uh, 10%, you get six grand for your 60. Right. 10% of six, 60 grand in the stock market is only six grand. 10% in the real estate is $30,000, thus right out the gates of 50% return on your Well, market. and then you have that compounding. The year two, you get another 10%. We're compounding on 330,000 for a house now when you put in 60 grand. The real, the stock market, we're compounding off of the 66,000 now. Great point. Great point. Now you mentioned a few different things um, in terms of the return on real estate. Uh, Let's talk about those. So the first one that everybody immediately goes to, which was the first thing you mentioned was cash flow. Usually people get excited about rentals because they want the cash flow. I get a raised eyebrow often when I make the comment, which I, I try to tell people oftentimes that to me personally, cash flow is the least important uh, uh, return on a real estate investment. And what I mean by that is uh, cash flow, you know, cash flow, if you're, let's keep using this condo for $300,000, 
as the example, if uh, your mortgage payment on that is $1,400 and you're, you're renting it for $1,500, it's $100 in cash flow. And, uh, and obviously there's other, there's other overhead. Yeah, don't, we calculate, so don't forget everything. <laughs> I'm just being very round on my numbers, but a hundred bucks in cash flow after you account for any HOA fees and property manager fees and, 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 uh, capital expenditures and things like that. Yada, yada. If you have a hundred dollars in cash flow, that is like really good. But yeah. when you look at it, it's like, okay, $1,200 a year. Like, is that really Especially all that great? Especially you put 60 grand and you put down. $60,000 yeah. in it's like a very low return on your investment. And that's why I make the comment of the cash flow is like the least important because it is the lowest part of the return. But yet that's what everybody talks about because it's the cold hard cash in your pocket every month. But there's three other quadrants that you touched on. And I call them quadrants because I like to visualize these as, as four boxes in my mind. The first being cash flow, but the other three are the uh, the debt reduction, and this is pretty significant. Every time you yeah. make that payment, or better yet, every time the renters make that payment, and you in turn make your your mortgage payment, a a good portion of that payment goes toward principal, and that principal is usually again on this example, you're probably looking at like four to five hundred dollars, even in those first couple of years, going toward principal, which again is far more usually four or five times more than your cash flow. And so that, and that happens every single month and it just gets better and better every month because of the amortization schedule. Uh, the next box of course is the appreciation. And that's every month when, when housing values go up, uh, your value goes up. Now I don't bank a lot on appreciation because you don't realize the appreciation or get that money in your pocket until you actually sell or refinance or do some kind of change. So it looks pretty on a spreadsheet for your balance sheet but doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, but in markets like we've had since, gosh, probably the last four or five years, but more specifically the last 24 months, the appreciation is phenomenal. Oh, like yeah. it, it's, it's, in, it's incredible. Um, and then the last quadrant, of course, is taxes. And people don't like talking about taxes because it's confusing, but you got to remember there's two ways to get tax savings on a rental property. The first is to run it like a business. So you have just random business expenses. Every time you drive to go visit your property, every time you buy lunch, when you're working on your property, whatever, you can get pretty liberal on a lot of expenses that are considered business expenses when you're dealing with your rental property. But the other thing is you can have your accountant depreciate your asset, your real estate, on that 27 and a half year depreciation schedule. And uh, obviously it depends on what your taxes look like personally, but for, for me, that has been quite significant to report to the IRS a loss every single year, which then can lower my- Well, and it's funny, you income. report the loss, but you made a cash flow. So you oh, exactly. tell the government you lost money and it's, it's true, but you didn't lose money. By the book, book you've yeah. lost money to the IRS, but in actuality, when you look at that balance sheet, you've made like tens of thousands of dollars yeah. between the appreciation, the debt reduction and your cash flow. Well, and I think the reason that people don't talk about these other things is because they're not sexy. Like it's, yeah. it's a very long-term game. You, you don't realize a lot of these gains until after you sell or even realize like you have a 30 year mortgage. If you pay that off 30 years from now, you look like an awesome investor, but it takes 30 years. So no one talks about these other things. Right, right, right. So Let's talk about uh, how do you get into this, right? How do you get started in this? So let's uh, let's let's start about the basics. So you had mentioned earlier, Cameron, that uh, and, and Cameron, for you guys that don't know, Cameron owns a handful of rental properties. Him and I own some rental properties together, and we both started very young, and 
and didn't necessarily have a whole lot of experience, but we followed uh, people that had gone before us and gave us good advice. And this is essentially us giving the advice uh, back to you. But uh, how did, how did tell me about your first rental property. How so, was that structured and how did you get into it with the little money down that you described? So my first rental and looking back at it, I probably shouldn't have bought it. It, <laughs> it wasn't the best deal. It seemed like a good deal at the time. So it was a- Time makes every real estate investor look We smart. made money on it. So <laughs> I, I don't feel bad it about it. It's a bad it. deal. You just wait another year before you- <laughs> As long as the market's appreciating, you're good to go. So I bought it- um, and put three and a half percent down. I did an FHA loan. It was a split level house. I lived upstairs. It had a basement apartment that I rented out to my sister-in-law. And so I was going to use it as a duplex. I think it was a bad decision because it wasn't a duplex. So it was very difficult to do that. I lived in it for one year and then moved out. One of the things that I didn't like about it was the area. It was like in a ghetto neighborhood. I would always get the worst renters. I would always have the neighbors calling me that there was fights and things going on. And so the overall house wasn't in a good area for what I was looking to do. And so- You're scaring our people away though. But I only put three and a half percent down. Right. An FHA loan, I cash flowed every single month. It appreciated two years later, I sold it and walked away with like 20 grand. So overall, it was a great experience. But uh, only living that in- for a year, I learned my lesson. So the next property, I actually bought a duplex in a nice neighborhood. Everything was great about it. Still own it to this day, and it cash flows like crazy. We've paid down the mortgage a whole bunch. You've refinanced that one and pulled cash out to buy more rentals. Yep, it is, it has leveraged me into doing more real estate by owning it for a long term. Awesome. Well, and I just want to underscore the fact that you occupied. And by doing so, you don't need the 20% down. Yep. That's probably yep. the first question. My first, first one was 3.5% that... down. My second was a 5% down. Mm -hmm. And the, the language that the title companies and the banks will require you to do is to agree to occupy as your primary residence for one year. So as long as you're willing to live in that rental for the first year, you can get in for FHA 3.5% down, uh, or more popular would be a conventional loan of 5% down. So well, keep that you, in mind when you're looking at properties. You even did it a little bit better for your very first one back in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, I I was the same thing. I did a 5% down uh, little condo, and and it was... Oh, I yeah. thought you seller financed your first one. Um, no, no, we put 5% uh -oh. down. Well, here's the thing. I bought it with my uncle. Okay. And so we split it. I put two and a half percent down. He put two and a half percent down. And it wasn't until later I, I essentially bought him out on a seller financing oh, contract. Okay. That's why that turned out so sweet. But that does kind of point out that you can do some creative ways. I, I buy, I own some rental properties personally, but then I own most rental properties with partners and that can get a little scary, but as long as you and your partners have a clear vision of your big picture, like the long-term goal, I think it does work, especially if you are at that point where you're not going to occupy. If you're in a house, you're like, I'm not moving out of here to go live in some dump or some duplex or something that it's just not going to fit your lifestyle, then you've got to have 20% down. And if you don't have the 20% down, then you might want partners. And two of you come together and you each come up with the 10%, uh, it works out you know, it can work out great. But the, where you see partnerships corrode is when you're not on the same page on a long-term vision. If somebody expects, hey, this is only a two or three year play and you're thinking, no, this is like my retirement play, um, you need to get that sorted out. What else? Yeah, 
I, I was going to say that partnership could be a, a whole nother discussion because we've done that and I feel like we've done it well, but I've seen a lot of other people struggle having a partnership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My first partnerships with my family, it worked out great, but they, there's age differences. There's, you know, it, it I knew that that wouldn't last for very yeah, long. But with you and I partnering up, neither of us are expecting that cash flow to come to our pockets. We're, we're trying to use that as our, our retirement. And so we have a, the same goals, the same thoughts as, it's just going right back into the business, go buy more real estate. Yeah. And that's helped. Yeah. And so to continue that story, so Cameron and I have bought quite a few rental properties together and our commitment to one another has been that we don't take cash flow. We've owned rental properties now for gosh, seven years, something like yeah. that. It's been a while and we've never taken a penny. We've bought plenty of lunches with, you know, and different things with the business card, but ultimately it's uh, our commitment to just snowball and snowball and snowball. And, uh, these first few properties, people have different goals. Uh, and, and I do wanna, I, I think there's a lot we can dive into, but the first goal that most people have is, is kind of how I start and how a lot of us start. And that is, hey, if I could just own three, four, maybe five properties and have them paid off by the time I retired, this is my retirement vehicle. And that sounds really good and it makes sense. I've met multiple people that are retired and they have their half a dozen rental properties and they bounce around between them all doing repairs. And it's actually a really cool lifestyle. They like doing it. They like being kind of hands-on. It's like you said at the beginning, it's a fun investment because you can touch it. You can insure it. You can guard it with a shotgun when the zombie apocalypse happens. It's a good investment. It's not just gonna evaporate because it's digital numbers on your, on your phone. Um, but as we started this, that was kind of my thought is, oh, I'll just have a handful of rentals. And when I retire someday, it's great. But you get caught by a bug pretty quick oh, yeah. where you realize that like, hey, this is not that complicated. It's, it's not easy, but it's not complicated. You just have to have the guts and the, and the, and the courage to, to jump through the hoops to get financing and, and inspect properties and go Go buy them. Or to have the long-term mindset. You already said time makes everyone look like a great investor. Like my first property that I bought, I said it was awful, but after a couple of years, I sold it and all my friends were like, oh, that was great. You own this property. You made all this money. And I'm like, yep, I'm smart because I waited a few years. Yeah, you waited a few years and you rolled that money into another property. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's what 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 I'm talking about is before you know it, and we're not that old of guys, but we've got quite a few properties. And it's and it's it's because the the bug bit us. And you just want more and more and more. And now every time we we end up getting a, a pretty substantial appreciation gain on one of our properties or whatnot, we, I mean, gosh, we've refinanced about all of our properties at least once and some of them twice, mm -hmm. just so we can pull out equity to go buy more and go wider and wider and wider. And uh, I think that's I think that's an exciting thing. Now you might have goals to to not go wider, but just only have you know, a couple of properties and go deep and just get them paid off. So yeah. you can get the cash, cash flow. flow like crazy at that point. But you, you have a teeter totter that you start, once you get a, even just one property, you realize after a couple of years that there's a teeter totter and that teeter totter is, do I go wider? Meaning do I pull cash out and buy more and go wider and wider and wider, or do I go deeper? And it's really a cash flow question. If you want, if you, if you'd rather go wider and, and grow your portfolio bigger, you sacrifice cash flow because you're always pulling equity out and you're always taking the cash flow and letting that snowball so you can go buy more. So you're never putting any money in your pocket. 
it seems like an expense. That's how I look at it. It feels like an expense. You're spending so much time on them. You're doing all these things and you, you never see any money. Yeah. But you're building a very wide net and you're, you're planning for the future. Well, and then the market goes up 10%. It goes up on a bunch of different properties that you own rather than just the one. So that's why we've gotten that strategy, but we also have time on our side. But I was going to say, but how many times have we talked to where we come together and we say, Hey, is it time to flip that teeter totter? Is it time to say, Hey, no more going wide. Let's go deeper and let's turn on the cash flow buttons. Meaning you could really go complete opposite where you then start selling properties to pay off other properties to go completely Kind of like the Dave Ramsey snowball style. You pay Mm -hmm. off one property, use all the money from that to pay off the next and the next and the next Mm -hmm. until you own all of them free and clear. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong strategy, right? It's just down to your, your personal, your personal needs and what you want to accomplish. But if you say, Hey, I need to have my 10,000 a month cash flow by my 40th birthday, you can achieve that. You might go really, really wide for the first, you know, few years that you're doing this and then consolidate and start selling stuff and consolidating to go a little deeper on, on your top performers. So by the time you're 40, you, you might not have as many properties, but maybe they're all paid off or you have wider properties are all mediocre in cash flow. I mean, it's, it's kind of fun to play with these, these yeah. levers. Well, and it's all about your risk too, right? If, if, I mean, we went really wide and um, we kind of risked it. If the market went down, we would have lost on all of the properties, right? right? You have 10 properties and the market depreciates, you lose money. It appreciates, you appreciate with all of them. And so there's there's some of that risk tolerance that you need to look at too, as you're playing with it. So I mean, it's fun, it's fun to analyze. For sure. Well, in the next episode, we're gonna dive deeper on, on what do you do once you have a handful of properties? How do you level up that concept of 1031 exchanging basic rental properties into more complex properties? uh that have better gains but before we before we wrap up this episode and and uh on that what tips do you have for first-time investors like what what has blindsided you and i over the years that if we could say hey if if there's a few things to just keep your eyes wide open and be aware of what would they be um i would say one of the things is don't fall in love with the property too much Hmm. like um you want you obviously want nice rentals and things, but you don't need to go overspend for the little things. I see this all the time with people that are like, well, if I lived here, I would do all of these things, but you're not going to live there. So don't worry about that. And the further you can detach yourself from the property, actually the better. Let your property manager deal with repairs and picking paint and carpet and everything. And you won't have to worry that that they're like destroying that house that you lived in one time. And so kind of removing yourself as much as you can. Yeah. The counter argument might be, well, that's the fun part of real estate investing is people love getting into that. I have built a lot of Ikea kitchens and I had fun doing it. It's like Legos for kids, but I am at that point in my life. I have zero desire to do any repairs on any of the houses. Um, My tip to, to add to that would be to have a property manager. Anytime somebody makes the comment to me, buying a rental is a terrible idea. Real estate investing sucks, yada, yada, yada. It's like 99% of the time, I know that the reason why they're saying that, and I'll always ask him, will come from a property management scenario. It was either my tenants trashed the place. My tenants didn't pay their rent. I got a fight with the tenant. They let my lawn die. They let, it's always something to do with the management of tenants. So my tip is always sooner than you think, hire a property manager. Well, and bonus tip for that, uh, your tenants probably shouldn't be your relatives. 
<laughs> yeah, I think we've all made that mistake. It's like a love-hate relationship, yeah. right? It's like great that they can just Venmo you your rent, but then it's terrible when there's actually a conflict. Yep, when they can't up. pay rent, you have to let it slide. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and as you know, we have we do have some friends and family that are renting from us, but we use the property management. Yep. That gives they're you the, the bad guys. They it, yeah. it allows you to. Sorry, I can't. My my property manager won't let me let you be 30 days late on your rent like you can you can have the bad guy you know so now that's a good tip any other tips um it's actually a lot easier than people think i think people get really worried and over over analyze and try to figure it out and have all of the solutions but once you get into it it's not that hard if you can run the numbers and it makes sense on on paper then it almost always ends up making sense in the long term yeah, yeah. Come talk to us. I, I would agree. I I think uh, even when people are owner occupying, they're buying their first home for themselves. To wear that hat as an investor of okay, I'll occupy this. It'll be a great little place, uh, you know, to start. That's great. But have the mindset of hey, I'm not going to sell this in a couple of years when I'm when I'm moving on in life. I'm going to keep it as a rental. And I think starting there is the easiest way to become an investor. And that is I'm going to buy real estate throughout my life, but I'm never going to sell real estate unless I am leveling up that property to bigger, better, and greater returns, which we're going to talk about here in the next episode. Anything else to add? No, I'm excited. Guys, thanks for joining us on this episode. Hopefully you learned a lot. And if you like this conversation, stick around for the next episode because we're going to dive deep into leveling up. Thanks. You've been listening to the Red Sign Podcast, a deep dive into legacy wealth building through real estate. See you next time.